We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Jack Mangle here for another Brooklyn Buzz, and I'm joined by a very special guest, the one and only Justin Thomas. Justin, how are we, mate? Feeling great. Great to be back on the pod. Feels like I haven't talked to you in forever. Uh, Hopefully next time I get to talk to Nick as well. Uh, But just feeling good, feeling good. I mean, a little bit of melancholy because of the Nets loss, but you know what? Let's get into it. Yeah, this is going to make it better. Always chatting with you is always a, a good time and a good time for the listeners as well. I guess the biggest thing, Justin, what was the big takeaways from tonight? Despite the Nets loss, the Nets go down 122-115 to the Miami Heat. Whoever the reporter was that asked Eric Spolstra before the game why the Nets have won the last five against them clearly cursed us in some form or fashion, whether that was Brian Lewis, Eric Slater. I don't, I don't know who it was, but I will put a curse on you as well because the Nets didn't win tonight. But in saying that, what do you think were the big takeaways from this game? It wasn't the prettiest affair for the Nets. Yeah, you never expect a reporter to give the opposing team bulletin board material, but, <laughs> you know, here we are. Um, and you wouldn't think that just saying a statistical fact that the Nets have won five straight over the heat would, you know, put them in that type of mood. But, hey, any anything, any type of edge you can get in this league. Um, there are a myriad, myriad, myriad of things that you can look at. To me, uh, I look at the ending of quarters, and I know this has been a, been a thing with the Nets over the past how many years, even going back to, to New Jersey days. But specifically, the end of the second quarter, where it looked like the Nets were having a very, very good half, very good half. They were most likely going to go up into the half with a lead or at least, you know, tied up. But they go scoreless over the last, I think, three and a half minutes. They give up a 14 to 0 run. They give the heat momentum. Um and that kind of springboarded into the second half. And then you saw it at the end of the third quarter. Again, the Heat just ended the quarter in a much higher spirits. They looked like they were more active to the ball, things like that. And then when you're losing quarters like that, especially in the second half, um, it, it gets hard to dig yourself out of holes, which the Nets ended up finding themselves in, I think, down 17 at one point in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, They had a little bit of a spirited comeback towards the end, but just ran out of gas. So it's hard to win when you're giving up you know, 14-0 runs at the end of quarters, you know, and you're going scoreless for, you know, three, four, five plus minutes. And and that the Nets don't have that offensive firepower to really punch back, you know, when they get down in a hole like that. So I think that's pretty much what was the biggest takeaway uh, in terms of problems for me tonight. 
Yeah, just looking at what you're sort of saying and, and looking how the Nets were outscored in every single quarter, but by minute margins, you know, outscored by three in the first, outscored by only five in the second, despite that 14-0 run, outscored by another four in, in the third, and the Nets actually outscored the Miami Heat in the final quarter by five. So if you take out those little mini runs that you're alluding to, the Nets could have had their six win in a row against the Miami Heat, but I think, as you sort of pointed out too, is... The offensive generation and the, the the turnovers and the the lack of half court, you know, just juice that they the Nets do have, especially with McHale having his inconsistencies and Cam Thomas being injured, and the Nets not necessarily getting on the fast break as much as they would like to. It just it that the game is going to go how it how it does. And Jimmy Butler put on his put on his heart out and and pretended that it was a playoff game and and really sort of stepped up. No one could really guard him for the Nets either, but. What were the positives for you, Justin? Because I probably have two players that probably stuck out to me, and I'm going to guess you're going to say the same names. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I think we're both in lockstep. Lonnie Walker, obviously, um, was my player of the game. And then my second one was Nick Claxton. And I think that for just touching on Lonnie really quick, you know, you don't expect Lonnie Walker to come into the game and be, you know, your team's leading scorer. I know him and Mikhail tied for the team lead in 23 points, but – you know, this is something we've seen from Lonnie Walker all season long. He's been that spark plug off the bench. He's been somebody that can carry the scoring load for that second unit, uh, which has been great to see. I mean, if you have, you know, some type of de- degeneracy like I do, I would run to your nearest sports book and put money on Lonnie Walker for a uh, sixth man of the year if you can, because he is absolutely balling. And then just going to Claxton, you know, He's, he's playing great. This is the type of, of, of game that Claxton was having during his great stretch run uh, you know, last season. 16, actually, no, yeah, 16 points, six rebounds. He was active, active, just, you know, kind of getting into it with Bam Adebayo at points, you know, a few blocks. And Jimmy. There. And and Jimmy, you know, but that's what the Nets need. I think Claxton provides that, you know, not a junkyard dog mentality, but he's somebody that doesn't, you know, he doesn't back down uh, from anybody, you know, and he'll let the other team – team's big man he'll let the other team star know that that he's there he's in the paint and and he's going to be a force and a presence yeah look touching on Lonnie Walker you know we could probably touch on Lonnie Walker for an extended period as you alluded to nine of 18 from the field for his 23 points and despite the fact that you know a a bit of a a worrying quote the other day that I think Nick and I both discussed you know in in both of the pods that we've done about him playing through the knee injury and despite that you know he's just a warrior like I've, I've said this a, a million times about him to be able to produce despite that he's clearly hampered in in some form or fashion but he's still an athletic beast the rim pressure that he puts on opens up so many different things and you know some of the other guys you know i wish that they had that look Dorian finney smith i think has been pretty good in that regard you know for his own and skills too but lonnie walker is just a, a different animal and his athleticism has a positive effect on the negative on the sorry the defense defensive side of the floor where he got like jumped up got like a a post-entry pass and then got out in transition like he just is a a wonderful finisher around the rim like the the skills that he has there like when i'm playing my pickup basketball i don't know what i'm doing when i'm getting out of transition i wish i had half of lonnie walker's talents but he was you know sensational and as you alluded to six man of the year like let's lock it in let's put all the money in the world on it get all the buzz money let's pull it together let's get all your justin thomas money let's just bet it bet it on the house but uh, when it comes to Nick Claxton, mate, Clax City, I, I just, I'm put, I'm got like scheduled tweets for days about that guy, ready to go out about his future within Brooklyn. But 
as it currently stands. You know, he only played 26 minutes tonight, but because he's coming back from the injury, you know, the Nets are going to limit his material there. I think he needed like a four-minute spurt in the first quarter. But when he is out there, you feel his presence. It's as simple as that. He is like Victor Wembanyama, Rudy Gobert. When he's around the rim, like you just don't want to be there. You don't want to be within five feet of Nick Claxton because he's going to send the block to Timbuktu. He is going to swat the hell out of it. And the play that I loved is when Jimmy dropped, well, Jimmy drove on him a couple of times and found out about Clack City Correctional Center because he drove on him and then he just like grabs him and grabs the ball and it's basically like just swallows Jimmy. And then when Clax walks away, he's just like shaking his head. He's like, nah, not in my house, mate. I mean, this, it wasn't his house. It was in Miami. But <laughs> we know Nick Claxton's had plenty of fun in Miami. But in, in saying that, it's just... The attitude and presence that is both tangible in terms of the blocks and the offensive. Yeah, I think his offensive skill is almost underrated and, and maybe both you and I, especially me, maybe underrated because he's just so good defensively. But also just the intangible presence of having a guy that is just, as you alluded to, a junkyard dog, got a bit of attitude, a bit of aggression. And just you know that, I think, has a, a, a reverberating effect a, a, across the team too. But yeah, Nick Claxton, man, I just... I love what he does. I just love what he does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I've said it on the pod before, but like Nick Claxton to me kind of, and if there's Nets fans that are old enough to remember, he kind of reminds me of like that Kenyon Martin type of player where he's athletic. He gets his his posterizing dunks. He gets his alley-oops. He hangs on the rim sometimes. And when he blocks shots, he swats it away. I know Richard Jefferson brought it up in the Magic game on the broadcast um, about like how sometimes, you know, with Claxton, you'd want him to, if he can, you know, grab the ball instead or keep it in play as opposed to just swatting out of bounds. But you know what? Sometimes the team needs that. Sometimes the team needs that for a spirit boost where it's like, hey, Claxton just sent Jimmy Butler's shot to the second row, and that's going to galvanize the defense, right? That's going to make me want to play hard. That's going to make me want to get to my rotations harder. You know, maybe I'm able to block a shot now. Or because Claxton is down there, they're hesitant to go into the paint, which then forces them into tough mid-range shots or long twos or long threes. So, all the intangibles that Claxton gives, I don't think, you know, it won't show up in the box score at all. But these are the things that help winning basketball. You know, the, these are the things that guys will look at in the locker room saying, I want to go to war with that guy. I want to be in the foxhole with that guy. Yeah, and I think he actually did have one of those tonight where he blocked it. And I think he was trying to, like, send it out of bounds. But it's like, oh, it's actually this one's staying in. And he gets the the board off his own block and then gets out in, in offense and like, does a couple of screens, gets in the post, and then finishes. Like, it's the epitome of the two-way play and the, like, the conditioning to be able to, like, make an effect despite, you know, having missed, you know, a bit of an extended period for him. Just as it's a credit to Nick Claxton. Like, he is just an absolute star. And I guess I want to ask you a broader question about Nick Claxton, Justin, because I've been thinking about this and I was thinking about it probably more tonight. And I got, again, in my drafts, you know, a, a few little things about his future as a Brooklyn Net. With Ben Simmons' situation being what it is, you know, Cam Johnson re signing in the offseason for, you know, 25 plus million, 22 plus, whatever it is, uh, over an extended period. You know, Nick and I have discussed. I'm not sure if I've discussed it with you about how how highly should the Nets prioritize Nick Claxton's future in a Nets uniform? Because if I'm Sean Marks, you know, I'm the, the first thing I'm doing come 1201 
July, whatever the date is, I'm making sure Nick Claxton is paid handsomely and staying in the Nets uniform for a long time. Now, as I alluded to, there are probably ramifications to that when it comes to Ben Simmons being on 38 to $40 million, you know, Cam Johnson, you know, Mikhail Bridges being on $20 plus million. What are your thoughts on the, the general future of Nick Claxton within the, the Brooklyn Nets franchise? Yeah, it's an interesting, you know, situation and scenario that the Nets and Claxton will find themselves in. I mean, Claxton is still young and you would love it for the Nets to, you know, sign him long term. You kind of keep this young core together, sign it long. You know, you you could have a a young core of Claxton and Mikhail and Cam Thomas, you know, Lonnie Walker's not that old. Right. And then you have all the rookies that we just signed, uh, you know, drafted this year as well. So you could have a really young Nets team that signed through you know, 2027, 2028, even 2029. Um, at the same time, the better Claxton plays, the more eyeballs around the league will be on him. Um, you know, I'd be remiss to, to say like, hey, the possibility of a sign-in trade is there for the right, you know, for the right type of player. I'm not saying like, that's what I think the Nets should do, but, I, but these are all the options that are going to be available for the Nets and for Claxton, you know, come the off season when it is time to make these tough personnel decisions. Um, you know, maybe the grass is greener for Claxton somewhere else, or maybe it, it, he may not fit the timeline, you know, when we get to the end of the season, it's, it's a lot different than what we thought. So personally, I would love it if Claxton stays in that. I think he's kind of been embraced really by this fan base. You know, a, a lot of people love him. Even we've gone through it now, I think what three or four different Nick Claxton hairstyles, uh, so far in his career. So it's like, he's kind of grown up, you know, in, in, in our eyes, you know, from this, like really lanky kid that was, you know, unsealed, unpolished, but just had a ton of athleticism to now, you know, he's got some post moves. He's working on his baby hook. I mean, I I tweeted about it earlier in the game, but he has worked so well with his fake dribble handoffs. I mean, he, he, it was something he struggled with, you know, maybe a year or two ago, but now, I mean, it's great. He catches the defenders off, uh, you know, off guard and he's so athletic and so long that he can just get to the rim in maybe one or two steps. So we've seen the maturation of Claxton. We've seen the progression. Um, it'd be really tough to see him playing in a different uniform, but that's just the business of the NBA. If it was up to me, you know, it, dot, you know, sign on the dotted line, keep Claxton here for the foreseeable future because that's how you build, you know, a roster. We're so used to these stars, you know, coming in and out for the past, you know, three, four years. It's nice to have some continuity uh, with a roster and a, a homegrown kid, even if he's not a star it's still nice to have a homegrown guy that just, you know, stays through and, and, and contributes to the team. Yeah, I mean, Cam, t- for me, the priority should be Cam Thomas. Mikael Bridges is on a co- very cost-friendly contract. You don't need to necessarily worry about that. But Nick Claxton should be the third priority on that list. Second, third, 2A, 2B, 1A, 1B, whatever you want to call it. Because Cam Johnson is an ancillary role player and is paid handsomely and all this, the teams sort of want that. Ben Simmons' contract is what it is so i think as you alluded to we want to see nick claxton in a nets uniform for a very long time but let's have a chat about the the rest of the starting five you know dfs was was pretty consistent you know hitting his three ball well four or six from the field three or four from three um continue to be a, a really positive defender and rebounding the ball well this season cam johnson you know five or ten from the field for 16 points was plus 18 in the minutes he was out there you know mikhail bridges started you know relatively I wouldn't say hot, but you know, was was consistent enough, but then was inconsistent in his offensive production. And Spencer Dimwitty, you know, despite having a, a really positive performance the other night, you know, really dipped tonight uh, in what he produced. You know, ten, did still have you know ten points and still had seven assists, still had five rebounds. Who do you think, or who did you want to jump into and discuss a little bit there, Justin? 
Uh, I mean, I'll take it from from the top and we can work our way down. So just starting with Dorian Finney-Smith, um, 11 points, six rebounds, three of four from three. This is what you expect from Dorian every single night. And he played, I thought he played pretty well on Jimmy Butler uh, in the possessions he was guarded up on him, played well against uh, Kevin Love in the, in the small times he was guarded up on him in, in the paint. This is what he does. He brings the defense. He gives you some corner threes. He'll give you a, a, a wing three every once in a while. If he's giving you anywhere between nine to 13 points a game, you'll take it because you know the defense is going to be solid on the other end. He rarely gets into foul trouble. Um, I know it says minus nine on his plus minus, but you know, sometimes that's just the way the flow of the game works. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that he wasn't a positive for the Nets. It just, you know, at, at the time on the court, the Nets as a team just weren't doing very well. So I, I was happy and 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 with the uh, production that Dorian Finney-Smith gave tonight. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And I guess outside, I want to, because I've got you here, I like doing more bigger picture stuff. Spencer and McHale. You know, what we've seen from them this season, there's plenty of discourse around both of those guys. What are your just more broad thoughts on on Mikael Bridges' start to the season and Spencer Dinwiddie's for that matter? And what do you think it all means? Are we reading too much into it? Or are we not reading enough into it? I've, I've given my thoughts on, on the pod a little bit. You've got the mic. What do you... What are your general thoughts about, you know, Spence and Mikhail? Well, I mean, it's still early. Uh, you know, we're only, what, 12 games into the season so far. You know, not even a full calendar month in yet. So I think it's still too early to, to definitively say, oh, this guy is going to be this this season. Or, oh, this guy didn't do this, so he can't be this. Um, it hasn't been the best of starts for Mikhail. You know, it, we're, you know, calling a spade a spade. It has it, He hasn't shown that leap type ability we've seen a little bit more out of you know cam thomas obviously and you know lonnie walker playing as well as he has and as consistently as he has doesn't make it look any much better for mikhail that being said there's no reason to think that he can't have that type of production that he did last season we just haven't seen it yet and you know what maybe it's not he's not the one a star but he is certainly if he's going to be a b to any team, I mean, that is fantastic, right? It, on any given night, if Mikhail's going to give you 20 to 23, 24 points a game, and then you couple that with what Cam Thomas is going to give you night in and night out, that that's pretty good. Um, so I'm not going to write off Mikhail just yet. You know, obviously, you know, you can't sniff, you know, scoff at the fact that, you know, he had 23 points. 6 of 15 is not the best. I think what, what happens is he hasn't shown that ability to just kind of take over a game yet. 
um, or get that timely bucket, right? Like in this game, Jimmy Butler obviously went into, you know, beast mode, but every time the Nets went on a mini run or, you know, something like that, where it felt like even when the Nets had a lead and started to try and pull away, there was Jimmy Butler getting to the free throw line or getting a clutch uh, bucket, finding his teammate for a clutch assist. Uh, these are the things that 1A players do, right? And we haven't seen that yet from Mikhail this so far this season, or at least not consistently. Um, so I'm not going to write him off completely. You know, I'll give it another month. But if it still kind of plays out like this, then you know, we might have to have conversation about who the real, I guess, star of the team is. As opposed, and for Dinwiddie, you know, it feels like every other night, you know, we're getting something different. It hasn't been the complete consistency that, you know, I think we've been hoping for two of nine tonight um, is not the best two of seven from three. You know, he does get the assist. He has his rebounds, but it's, I think with, with, I mean, he had some, some nice uh, lobs too. I think his chemistry, I think uh, I tweeted it out and then uh, Billy Reinhardt uh, kind of piggybacked off of it. His connection with uh, Claxon this game and so far the season has been really, really good. Uh, I hope that continues. Uh, scoring wise, I'm still unsure of the, what to really expect from him though. Like 10 points, well, some games he could have 23 go off for an offensive explosion. And in other games we're kind of here, 10, 11 points shooting miserably from the field and almost a non-factor on offense. So, uh, with him as well, it's kind of like a wait and see, but I don't know how much longer you can really wait, especially for somebody who's as established in the league as Spence. Yeah. I think with, with Spence, like the game that we got from him the other night against Orlando was the, the perfect epitome of, of what you would want out of Spencer Dillon in terms of his just control and just, just the ability to have the ball on a string and just dictate the way that the game is played at his sort of pace. And whether that's pushing the ball up in transition or just going, you know what, I want to get the mismatch here and I'm going to drive on you. I'll drive and kick. I'll get to the free throw line. It's just... Yeah, that hasn't necessarily been there, and a lot of people have their opinions and thoughts on why, but I don't necessarily get to read into that as much as maybe a few other people do, but he's still, you know, in 1,200 minutes, I think I tweeted out this morning, like he's plus five in net rating when the, when he is on the floor. Now, some people think net rating is a flawed stat, but when you're out there and the net is the, the team is doing well and they are positive, that I think Spencer Dinwiddie is a positive player for the Nets. It's just going to be about where he sits in the sort of pecking order of things. And and I guess that sort of leads into Mikael Bridges. And I've had my thoughts about him in terms of being a bit reactive rather than proactive and not having the ability to be proactive because he doesn't have the offensive bag that you know, Lonnie Walker has, let alone Cam Thomas and some of those 1A, the Jimmy Butlers of the world have. So I think he is still honing in on his craft. You know, the defense is... You now know, oh, yeah, we've got the scouting report on Mikhail. You know, really attack that handle, really get in his face, really make things physical for him, and he's going to have a tough night. Now, I like that he's getting to the free throw line a bit more this evening, excuse me, and I think that will bode well because normally when he is playing well, he gets to the free throw line. He's a bit of a merchant. Uh, he sort of said in the past that he'd learned a little bit from Chris Paul uh, when it comes to that. The three ball needs to come around. That needs to, it's as simple as that. Like, he's been shooting the ball poorly. He's not a poor shooter, though. Like, when he's out there and he's got an open shot, I'm comfortable that he's going to have that. But last season, he was creating for himself, you know, from the perimeter. He was doing pull-up threes. And he just looked like there was just more to it. Now, obviously, you know, now he's going through the hard times. How's he going to find his way through it? Look, he's not a bad player. He's not a negative player by any stretch of the imagination. He might not be a top 20, top 15 player, but that doesn't mean he can't be valuable as well. I think we saw the best version, again, of this, of him, you know, in the in the Bucks game, which the Nets unfortunately lost, where it was him and Cam Cookin, 
and Mikel was allowed to be a bit better defensively. And that's one thing for both of these two guys who are probably our two best players right now or should be or have the most offensive responsibility when it comes to that. Both of them haven't been to their highest levels defensively. You know, Spencer has been not great, maybe even bad. And Mikel Bridges hasn't been necessarily elite, which is what we expect from him. And he's not Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, or these sort of guys. So maybe when Cam Thomas does come back, that allows Mikel to hone in a little bit more defensively and sort of be a secondary sort of play finisher rather than playmaker. So we'll see how that does pan out. But Justin, any general thoughts about the Nets right now as they currently stand about this game. You've got the floor. The Nets are currently 6-6. Six and six. They'll be heading home. Uh, back to verse the old arch nemesis in the Philadelphia 76ers. What are your thoughts about the Nets right now, this game? But What are we thinking, mate? Uh, the Nets are playing like how I think a lot of people expected them to uh, coming this season. They they battle. Like, like to quote Avery Johnson... We battled, and that's what the Nets are going to do night in and night out, right? And you see it in some of these box scores, you know, they, even the losses, they're not getting really blown out aside from that one uh, Celtics game in Boston. You know, their losses are coming by five or less points, right? And then you figure, right, if you if Cam Johnson doesn't try and draw the charge on, on Donovan Mitchell, the Nets probably win that game. If Luka doesn't go absolutely God mode, the Nets probably win that game, right? Like you're you're looking at a team that could pro- easily have two to even four more wins on the season, and we're instead of six and six, you know, we're talking about maybe ten and four or something like that. So, it 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 certainly is a team that it's it's so it, it's a team that you like you would want to go to battle with. You know, I think I saw on Twitter somewhere like the Nets are filled with a bunch of oh he yeah, right, guys, you know, like that, and that's what they are. They're a bunch of guys that if you saw them on any other team, it's like all right, yeah, yeah, he's good, he's decent, and that's what the Nets are full of. Uh, they battle, they work hard, and, you know, it's a team that I, I think a lot of people will rally around. Uh, it's a team that's going to, I think, shock a lot of people when they get wins against quality opponents like they did against the Clippers, you know, a, a week or two ago. Uh, they almost beat the Bucks, you know, at home. But, you know, you go, you're going to face a, a Sixers team the next game on a Sunday. Um, that's, that's a chance for another big win, right? You know, the Sixers, you know, Tyrese Maxey's playing really well. Obviously, Joel Embiid, uh, the reigning MVP. but you know, it, it's not it's nothing the Nets can't handle, right? The Nets, I think, have one of the best benches so far early in this season. I think what surprised me, I, I saw one of these graphs that showed where the Nets stand on the season. And you take out garbage time, they're eighth in offense and 16th in defense. And, you know, if you asked me before the season where I thought they would rank, I would have thought those numbers would be switched, right? I yep. think we came into the season thinking, oh, this is going to be a very lockdown Nets team. You're only going to give up maybe 102 points, you know, a game. It's going to be really difficult for the opponent, opponent to score, but the offense has been ahead of the defense, you know, which has been surprising. And obviously that's been speared on by, you know, Cam Thomas's outbursts and uh, Lonnie Walker's, you know, offensive output as well. Um, so I think the defense will catch up uh, eventually. And obviously I think the offense will probably come back down to earth. Hopefully it doesn't, but that's just kind of how basketball works. Uh, but this is a team that they, they can, I said it before the season, they can get to 40 wins. They can be a playoff team. And not, and I think they could avoid the play and just kind of based off what the East is right now. Nobody's really a juggernaut outside of the Sixers. Sorry, outside of the Celtics. You know, the Bucks have shown that they're, you know, not as formidable as we once thought. Uh, the Sixers will be around there as a three seed, their yearly three seed, you know. Uh, but after that, you know, the Cavs are beatable. The Nets showed that the Cavs are beatable. And you have the Knicks. There's a lot of teams that the Nets can compete with on 
pretty much the same level uh, because they have a roster full of, you know, just greedy guys, guys that want it every single night. And once the Nets get healthy, you know, it, it's going to be a different story. Like the, the fact that they're fighting and battling and pulling out games now with a not so much depleted roster, but a roster that's incomplete because of the injuries uh, speaks volumes to the, the guys on the court. So credit to them. Uh, it's going to be a fun season. It's going to be a season where we're going to have frustrating losses, but we're going to have exciting wins. And it's going to be a, a heck of a ride, something that's certainly a different type of Nets team that we're used to over the past, you know, three, four or five years. That's it, man. Join us for the ride on the Brooklyn Buzz as well. Make sure you subscribe on all streaming platforms. Justin, in case people are listening to you for the first time, where can they find you and your work? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter as always, J underscore Thomas, uh, underscore 24. Uh, also check out my pod, uh, Sarah Toby sports podcast, talking everything anime and sports. So there you go. Love it, Justin. Always a pleasure, my friend. Nets well, baby. Come on, let's go. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.